Stacy Glover. And you are listening to Cinema Parlor. On this week's episode, we're going to be discussing uh, the director Nicholas Ray and a couple of his early works. Um, be focusing in on They Live by Night, mm-hmm. his first feature. And I think we're also going to just have a little bit of a discussion on his uh, second film, In a Lonely Place. And I'm excited about it. Yeah, dude. I, I'm really pumped. I, I like these films. Stacy, how you doing, man? I am good. How are you? What do you What do you got over there? Not doing bad. Uh, so today I'm drinking Evil Twin Brewing uh, Company beer called Some People Are Immune to Good Banana Stout. This is an imperial stout with banana and maple syrup added. It's a very tasty beer. It's very high in alcoholic percentage at 10.7. Mm. And uh, let me give you guys a little sample here. I know you guys can feel it on the other end. Ooh, so good. <laughs> Highly recommended. What are you drinking, man? I am drinking Prairie Artisan Ales. Consider yourself hugged. It's an imperial stout with peanut butter roasted coffee. Mm, that sounds good. It is an 11.9%. Ooh. It's it's real good, man. Man, we're getting up there today. Well, you know, it's that time of year. Holiday is coming up. It's also that time of year for all the good deals. So, you know, if you're, if you're like me, you're going to sites like Blu-ray.com. Looking at what the Amazon deals are by yeah, the hour. Definitely. Uh, so last, uh, you know, well, I guess it was two weeks ago at this point, but we had Cyber Monday not very long ago. Mm-hmm. We had Black Friday. So I picked up some some stuff on Amazon. So the, the biggest thing I want to talk about real quick is uh, the Alfred Hitchcock Masterpiece Collection. Now, I got this on Blu-ray. It's a very nice set. This is always about between $80 and $90. And Amazon had a quick flash sale, and I got this uh, beast for 50 bucks. That's not bad. And it's uh, really, really cool. It's, uh, I believe, 15 Blu-rays, and also has a booklet and a lot of special features. Uh, has some of his biggest films on it, including things like, you know, Psycho, Vertigo, Rear Window, uh, The Birds, North by Northwest, just to name a few. So, yeah, I'm pretty pumped on that. Nice. And a couple more things I want to mention. Uh, I just recently picked up the Magnificent Ambersons from the Criterion Collection. Have you ever watched that one? I've never seen it. Have you? No, I have not. So this is notoriously known film from Orson Welles that had about 40 minutes cut out of it from the studio. Sadly, that footage has never been found. So this is the original film, but uh, it's given the Criterion treatment, a nice box booklet, a uh, couple, uh, uh, you know, audio commentaries, some visual essays, um, some interviews. So, pretty, nice. pretty pumped on that. And then uh, a couple films I got from Arrow Academy. Uh, I'm going to mention here Gosford Park, the Robert Altman film, mm-hmm. his second to last film he's done. Uh, another movie I haven't seen. And uh, this is a, also another nice set with a booklet, audio commentaries, interviews. Then uh, another film I got, also from Arrow Academy, called Gas Food Lodging by Allison Anders. Another nice set with a book and interviews and and things of that nature. And 
lastly, I'll say I picked up a couple of... Uh, not, I got, not pretentious not films. Not pretentious films. I got uh, Blockers, uh, which is one of my favorite comedies of 2018. I got this for five bucks. So I And you get to see uh, like John Cena's side butt. Yeah, you get to see John Cena chug some beer in... In his ass. In the ass. All right. Great movie. <laughs> and then uh, lastly, uh, I picked up Showgirls. This is the Paul Verhoeven film. Nice little uh, Blu-ray here I got for six six bucks, I think. Anyway, good time. So all some, right, some cool stuff there. So uh, for all of my, all of our uh, collectors out there. Yeah. Some cool I, stuff. I really just picked up some games. I, I got that Assassin's Creed Odyssey and uh, Soul Calibur Six, and they had a sale this week going. I got Into the Breach. It's an indie game. It's, it looks like Starship Troopers. As far as like movies go... What I've been finding that, like, and I'm sure you've had this happen before, too, where you want to watch something and you swear to God it's streaming. Yeah. And you go on there, and it's not on there. It's not on any avenue. So, you know, I've, I bought, like, Planes, Trains, Automobiles because it's like, oh, I just want to watch that. And recently bought, like, the Lethal Weapon 4-pack, the Blu-ray set, because, mm -hmm. like, Lethal Weapon's always streaming on everything. And, yeah, it's nowhere. Couldn't find it. It's like, all right, I guess I need to buy that. Yeah. So, yeah. Those things happen. That's what I've been up to. Physical media. Or upgrading DVDs that piss me off. Like, I was like, oh, this this looks bad. Yeah. I need to get a Blu-ray. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, you want to get into what we've been up to? Yeah, man. Um, me, I... Mine's a little themed. Um, yeah. Because, I, I mean, since last we spoke, I've watched so many freaking movies. But um, I watched some good 80s films. Robocop, Total Recall, and Ridley Scott's Legend. So... What I the theme that I want to talk about is Rob Bottin, the yep. makeup artist. He did the effects for all three of those films, and I think he's kind of underrated. I think the people you know, you don't hear his name as much as you hear like Savini or um, you know Rick Baker, right? And I think people forget just how wonderful he was. I don't know about you, but like for me, like RoboCop has gore effects that like rival day of the deads yeah. i think those are the two best like gore effect movies ever yeah robocop rocks man yeah and like the design on legend and uh, just the 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 makeup work and total recall you know this is just fantastic and it's just you know every time it like pop these movies and it's like oh rob boutin did this that's crazy yeah and i love the way he like shoots gunshots like or he didn't you know his squib work. Yeah. Yeah. Very chunky. I love that chunky violence. Yeah, those, those are good movies, man. And uh, you're right. The effects work is great. Yeah. I, I mean, Robocop is... it. Not only is it just one of the best movies ever, it's, uh, it's very good looking. Those effects are flawless. Even Ed 209, which was brought to life by, I believe, Phil Tippett from hmm. Jurassic from Park fame. I, I think for stop motion, I think Ed 209 looks pretty good. Yeah. I think it holds up. Yeah. Yeah, that movie holds up. Check out Robocop if you haven't watched it in a while. It's yeah, amazing. For sure. Okay. What have you been watching? All right. Uh, a few things here. Um, I'll start with, uh, I recently watched uh, Widows, the new uh, movie from Steve McQueen. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend this movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I think uh, McQueen is one of our best uh, directors working today. Um, he's just a visual um, master, in my opinion. Yeah, there's great acting here, in particular, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, and he is 
very uh, intimidating in this movie, I'll say that. Violet, Violet Davis is great. Elizabeth Debicki stands out. Really like that. Like the movie a lot. And I, uh, you know, it's probably going to be leaving theater soon. So I, you know, would recommend people get to see it. Yeah, for haven't. sure. Is it a straight up genre film? Is it like him doing like a Michael Mann style it thing? Is, it is Steve McQueen's version of a genre film. So. Okay. It's, you know, you've seen his movies. Oh, he's, yeah. He's definitely, um, uh, you wouldn't think of him as genre. No. But um, it's his attempt at doing one. And okay. I think it works out really well because um, it's a very entertaining movie. Nice. Next up, I'll say that I got to watch uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Mm. It is streaming right now on Netflix. This is the new Coen Brothers movie. It's an anthology movie. They direct every segment. I believe there's six segments. Five or six. Um, but uh, this is a Western through and through. Um, it's kind of straight up their, their style of comedy. Their, you know, their dialogue. It's pure Coens. And I loved it, man. And I would highly recommend seeking that out if anybody get, has not seen it or gets a chance to. And a couple others... New ones that I will mention real quick. I got to see uh, Wildlife last weekend, and that is the new movie from Paul Dano. He actually directed it, and uh, I, this is another movie I am very high on. Um, I, quite impressive for a directorial debut. Carrie Mulligan is like just a powerhouse, and Jake Gyllenhaal is really good. The new this new kid I've never seen in it before. His last name's Oxenbold is really good, and I thought this was one of the best framed and composed films I personally seen this year so very high on that and then lastly i will say i watched uh, the other side of the wind and this uh there's a long story behind this one but uh, this is orson wells in kind of parentheses because he did a lot of work on this movie but he never finished it mm -hmm. and so many many years later it has uh, been edited people found notes and put all the footage together and tried to make it as close as they thought they could to what his vision would be and that's also streaming on netflix yeah, I, I also watched uh, that film. Is that something you want to save and talk about later? Yeah, I think so. Because, okay. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> All right. Anything else for you, man? Um, I finished Marvel's Spider-Man on PlayStation 4. Um, I've got to say, this is one of the better games that I've played through this year. I, I think it's right up there with God of War and Red Dead Redemption 2. It's very, very fun. The gameplay holds throughout the whole title. Um, that's probably like a 20 or 30 hour story. Mm -hmm. it, it's pretty decent, but the, uh, the storytelling, man, I think it's like, it's up there with, you know, the best Spider-Man movies. It's got really good emotional beats. And I was very impressed with, uh, the things that it did that those movies don't. And that like, it, it takes chances that the movies don't really do. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with like how it plays out with its dramatic beats um, man, it seems like this year might end up just being, like, the best year for Spider-Man. This game's been universally praised. Uh, we had Avengers Infinity War earlier in the year. He was a major part in. And, uh, that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I mean, we haven't seen it. It's not out yet. But from word of mouth, it's sounding like that's going to be one of the better animated films from the year. Yeah, a lot of people are liking it. It's so. a good year for Spider-Man, webheads. Yeah. Interested to see what that, what that, uh, brings. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, anything else uh, for you, man? No, I guess as far as games go, I've been playing a lot of NBA 2K19. Just rocking out my season with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Having a good time. Nice. You know, also been still invested in the Red Dead 2 world. So, loving that game still. Any good adventures? 
Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've had some some good stuff uh, happen. Uh, I the other day I had a uh, adventure where I had to do something for John Marston, who is you know the main character in the first game, and I had to go steal like an oil truck. Yeah. <laughs> Where, where did you steal that one from? I just finished that mission. Okay, so I picked the one to the far east. The, like at the company itself? Yes. Um, so I went there, and it took me... It's, it actually took me about four or five tries. Uh-huh. Uh, because I got there, and I tried sneaking and steal, stealing this truck. Right. And, uh, I got destroyed and killed. And I got it to where... I, I reloaded the, the checkpoint, uh-huh. and when I did that, for some reason, it took the truck out of that area, and it made it up the road a little bit, so there was a guy on the truck. Oh, that's weird. And so, and it was away enough from the area that, like, I... You just took it. So I took it, but the <laughs> the problem is, though, is that it's it's this far away, but to take it, you have to kill the guy right. driving the truck, and every time I would kill him, there, no matter what, every time, there would be people coming up the yeah, road they and witnesses. Would... So then I would have to try to kill the witnesses before they get, like, before they told on me. And it, it was funny because it would just p- keep piling up. And so, like, I would either have a mess of bodies that I've just killed. Right. And then, you know, of course, the law is going to get involved at some point. Or, or the, I couldn't, I, there were too many people at once and I wouldn't be fast enough to kill every, uh-huh. everybody. So this was kind of a funny thing. So it took me, like I said, about five or six tries because... I just keep, you know, people kept witnessing me murder sure. this man. Eventually, I got it, and, uh, you know. That's weird. I didn't have... Okay, so I, I died, too, because it is a harder mission. Um, but my checkpoint always took me outside of the thing, and the thing was still parked, but a guard was next to it. Okay. So what I would do, I just would climb that wall, jump mm-hmm. over it, slit the dude's throat, mm-hmm. get on the thing, and just, like, dead-eye everybody there Yeah. in hopes that, like, I can hit enough... To, like, make an escape without them shooting it. Right. So, that finally worked for me. Um, yeah, the, the the way it set it up for me, it was it was much easier, I guess, and as far as stealing it. it right. It was just the, trying to get away with it because you're out in the open. <laughs> yeah, it's like a comedy of violence right. for you. And, like, right down the road is seriously a little tiny... It was like, a, I don't know if it's a town or just a little tiny settlement or what. Uh-huh. So, like, there were constantly people coming up and down that road. Have you been running into weird shit in that game? Not too much. Like, I... So, I found, like, a building that, like... It looked like a cult church mm. where people, like, drink all this poison. And Ooh. you get the note about, like, the spaceship stuff and, like, the stars and... I did run into that. So, I ran... You yeah, did run I into did that? I did run into that. Yeah, so I did that. Uh, I think I texted you the other day about it. Um, So, I did this hidden treasure hunt. And it was triggered because I did a thing and I was coming back from doing that thing... And there's a dude who's just standing on a rock, like, talking about how, in this is his words, not mine. He's like, oh, some Chinaman ripped me off, you know, this blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I need to see what this is about. So I go up there, and he's like, he has this map out, but he doesn't want to show it to me. Mm-hmm. He, like, doesn't want to talk to me. He's like, oh, this is nothing. You need to leave me alone. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So I follow him and he's mm-hmm. like, uh, you don't follow me. So he like starts like galloping faster. So I hog time. <laughs> like I, I lasso him. I get him on the ground, hog time and I rob him. So I steal that map. Nice. And it leads me to a hidden treasure hunt. So I go to like three different locations to find more clues. And I get like 
three gold bars that are worth 500 bucks a piece. That's awesome. So I sell them to a fence. Now I'm rich. Man. So I got all those upgrades. That's really good. Now let me ask you, on this treasure map, like, yeah. do you have to try to s decipher it yourself? Or does it show up on your big map? Or how does that work? Here's what happens. It what It's kind of like the treasures from the first game where it shows you like a... Like it's just a picture of what it is. Mm -hmm. And then what you do, if you're an adult and don't have time for nonsense, you get on the Google and you mm. type in hidden yeah. treasure mm -hmm. map number one. Sure. And it's like, this is where to go. Nice. So that's what I did. And I was like, oh, yep, that looks like that. Heck yeah. I'm... I don't have time to... I don't think I would either. I would yeah. do the same thing. That's a good call. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, maybe maybe I'm not that great of a gamer, but, uh, you know, hey, too old. You know, there's people that give us these tools. We might as well take advantage That's of them. That's true. Prima's out of business, That's I right. believe, the, the strategy guy company. I think company. so, too, yeah. Yeah, so... All right. Google. All right. All Anything right, else, man? No, you want to get to this uh, Nicholas Ray? All right, let's do it. So, Nicholas Ray, he was born August 7th, 1911, uh, and he died in 1979. He was an American film director best known for things like Rebel Without a Cause, Johnny Guitar, In a Lonely Place, They Live by Night. What are your initial thoughts of Nicholas Ray? As a director, um, I think he's pretty interesting. I actually hadn't seen any of his movies until you brought this up as a topic. And, you know, I watched the first movie, you know, They Live By Night, which is what, you know, we agreed to talk about. And I was like, you know what? I want context and I want to watch his other movies. So I ended up watching, let's see, four of them. So I watched uh, that, In a Lonely Place. I watched Johnny Guitar and uh, Rebel Without a Cause. And what I think is really striking about him is I, I he reminds me of a filmmaker kind of like a Robert Wise in that... His style, I feel, changes between the movies that he does. So you have something like, uh, and we'll talk about it more in depth, but, you know, They Live By Night, it's, uh, you know, it's lit in kind of a romantic sort of way. Yes. Um, a lot of washed out, you know, shots, lighting its leads, you know, making them look like angels almost. But then you have, like, Johnny Guitar, which it it's during the time of the traditional Western boom, but it's... It's lit and it's staged almost like a Hollywood musical. Yep. Like the colors are so vibrant. Um, I, I just think it's really cool that, uh, you know, his style, it just, it, and it's not like, I guess you could watch like two of these movies and not, if you didn't know, I, I think you could not tell who did them. Yep. Does that make sense? I don't mean that as an insult. I agree with you as far as Johnny Guitar goes. I will disagree by saying I think... A Lonely Place and They Come By, or They Live By Night, uh -huh. are very similar in their tone. And they're, I, I can tell who directed them both. But I do agree with, and I've only had one other movie to, I've only seen three of his movies. Sure. So, but I completely agree with you, Johnny Guitar. That's a, you know, and it's been a year since I've seen it. Oh, and it's a very <laughs> but, unique uh, movie. Yes, for sure. Um, okay, I'm going to say a few things here. So I'm going to give you a quote off the top here, okay? This is from the great Jean-Luc Godard. He, him and uh, the French cr uh, critics were some of the first to really um, go about Nicholas Ray and praise him and say that he was a director that needs to be studied. There was theater, in parentheses here, other directors. Mm -hmm. So there was theater, Griffith. Poetry, Murnau. 
Painting, Rosalini. Dance, Eisenstein. Music, Renoir. Henceforth, there is cinema. And the cinema is Nicholas Ray. I think that's a great quote. That is a good quote. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, some things that uh, kind of Nicholas Ray stood out about. Uh, He was known to do really great with, with young, insecure actors. Because he himself, a lot of people have said, was kind of more of an insecure man. And so he was known as doing a really great job with kind of actors that were themselves insecure. Uh, some of Ray's best pictures were about people whose society was oppressing and who were almost doomed by society. Uh, Ray himself, uh, not at all, he, he himself was kind of outside of that society. He was known as an outsider when he came in to Hollywood. So uh, his style, the way he goes about, uh, especially the early films, is tends to be more kinetic. His uh, relationships establish its own moral code, and there is no such thing as an abstract morality with him. He, like you said earlier, romanticism is a big part of Nicholas Ray. In uh, They Live by Night especially, uh, we have an agonizingly adolescent intensity of the lovers in that movie. Um, It invests the lovers with a privileged aura. And uh, Ray's characters are inflicted with all the psychic ills of the 50s. Uh, His films are quite indisputable, records of very personal anguish, and found artistic expression for little more than a decade. That comes from the book The American Cinema by the great Andrew Saris. So those are just some things about uh, Ray, how people kind of thought about him, and some of the things that they he brought to the table as a director. All right. How do you want to do this, man? You want to get into They Live By Night to start yeah, with? Yeah, let's uh, go ahead and get into this first movie, man. Um, so directed by Nicholas Ray. Uh, it's 1948. Uh, you have the lead character... Bowie Bowers. That's right. Played by Farley Granger. Uh, I think most famous from the Hitchcock films, Rope and the remake of Strangers on a Train. Right. Which I really like him. He's He kind of looks like, to me, a more handsome like Topher Grace. Yeah, he's a very pretty man. Um, also, I, I think he's, he's really good in this film. Also, if you haven't seen it, he's very good in Rope. And Strangers on a Train is very entertaining. Yeah. Um, you know, he even... Did some uh, some European stuff. Uh, oh. He did a movie with uh, Visconti called Senso, starred in that. And uh, yeah, I think he's a he's a very um, he's someone you don't forget when you yeah. see his face, you see his look. So yeah, I'm quite a fan of him. Um, also, we get Kathy O'Donnell. That is the uh, lady that co-stars yeah, with him in plays, this picture. Yeah, she plays Kichi Mobley. Yes, Kichi. Uh, real quick, I'm. Mean, this is a very she's probably most famous for Ben Hur. Okay. Very good. Uh, a small synopsis here mm-hmm. from the letterboxed. Cops or no cops, I'm going through. The story of a petty criminal and his girlfriend who try to escape their gang after a double cross of the thieves. All right. So before we get into spoilers, you want to like just some general thoughts on this movie? Um, yes. Some recommendations or not, you know? Yes. Okay. I... I will say I was a big fan of this movie. This is Ray's first film. I was quite impressed. I, I'm a big fan of melodrama, and I thought this was a very well done melodrama. Here's some things I will... Just some quick thoughts here. Okay. So, this was a key film in tackling noir, uh, like, into a rural area. So, a lot of times before this, it was mostly made into the city and stay in the city. This has a rural vibe to it. 
Uh, Ray brought a level of naturalism and, like we talked about, romanticism to this genre and revitalized the genre. And it's kind of a film outside of time. Uh, Ray, an outsider himself, um, in opposition to the mainstream. This book is uh, based, or um, this this film is book based on a book called Thieves Like Us. Right, which they made into a motion picture in right. the seventies. Yes, I believe Altman directed. Yeah, okay. with uh, Donald Sutherland. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another thing I forgot to say about Ray, uh, he started his career as an assistant for Kazan before they lived by night. Uh, I'm really impressed by kind of the aerial shots in the film. I really like that stuff. I also like Ray's uh, two-shot approach, which I think he um, did even better in uh, in a lonely place. Mm-hmm. The soft, you know, soft focus approach is big here in the way he sh- shoots the romance. Uh, both these characters are outsiders, like I've said. They're quote unquote innocent people caught in bad circumstances. Ray's noirs, as you'll come to find out th- from this picture and the next one, are generally tragic. Ray has a type of sympathy for bad people in the film, Maddie in particular. Then, uh, you know, this was a very influential film for things to come, especially like, you know, the dynamic of a guy and girl on the run. So things like, you know, Gun Crazy, Bonnie and Clyde, Badlands, things like that. Ray, like I said earlier, was highly regarded by the French critics and kind of, you know, he was never given much freedom on a picture again, like, like he was for this movie. And kind of the other big thing about this movie for me is uh, Ray was really the first guy to bring melodrama into the noir. And so that would kind of be an influence on some noirs after this. So if you look at this movie, and I I know it does show up on a bunch of like best of noir, you know, list and things like that. But if you're thinking like the traditional sense, and that's to take the definition of the, you know, subgenre out of it. But generally, for noir, at least I, and I, I, I believe many others probably think this way, that if you're talking about a noir film, you're talking about either like a femme fatale getting a guy to do something stupid, you know, something like a double indemnity, or you're talking about a detective picture, something like a Maltese Falcon sure. or Chinatown. Uh, this movie does not fit that mold. Uh, it is very melodramatic. It reminded me of, you know, kind of Cirque's work. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's very romanticized. It, it seems like his films are very big on fate that, mm-hmm. you know, these people are fated to this, you know, destiny, regardless of what could intercede. So I will say if you are, if you go into watching this movie thinking you're going to get a traditional noir film, this is not the movie for you. Right. So just putting that out there, I, I do think it, it's, it's a good movie. But it it does not have, you know, the typical noir thrills. Right. It, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. All right. So um, you you would recommend this movie. You I loved it. I gave it, uh, I gave it four stars on Letterboxd. I, I think it's a very good for, first feature. And like I said, I am, you know me, I, I'm very much into melodrama. Right. I don't really know why, but I am. So. <laughs> I'm weird on melodrama. So, like, there are some melodramas that I absolutely love, and I, I think it's, like, a logic thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I know that doesn't make any sense, because, like, I eat shit up, like, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that show. Sure. Like, that's super melodramatic, and I love it. And, like, the, like, Legends of the Fall, you know, Meet mm-hmm. Joe Black, things like that. And, you know, I, I do appreciate Cirque and stuff, but... There, some of the melodrama, I think, is a little silly because, like, La La Land hits this for me, that 
I think the circumstances that are presented are so silly that it's like, well, if you were two adults, like, you could just figure it out. Like, why is this even a problem? So, this movie doesn't have this problem. It's, um, it's very much like they are fated. It's two people who love each other but can't escape this life regardless of how hard they try. Sure. And it, it's interesting because it is probably one of the first movies to cover this. This is kind of a topic that, like you said, you know, Bonnie and Clyde... Right. Another cool thing about this movie, I I didn't know this, but I guess this is the first like helicopter shot yeah, in a movie. That's right. So the opening, and I thought, I don't know, I don't know why I thought this, but I was like, well, maybe that's a crane shot because you know I just couldn't figure it out, but it, it, it was shot from a helicopter. So you know, film historian, check this movie out because it's your first helicopter shot. Yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah. We want to get into spoiler territory, talk about the picture. Let's get the meat and bones. Yeah. We're trying to do something a little better because some of these movies we talk about, I know not everybody's seen them, even though they're kind of older. So we're giving you guys this chance now that we gave our initial thoughts. So if you haven't seen the movies, go watch them. Yeah. And and if you want to hear us, you know, talk about, uh, you know, the next film, you know, fast forward a little bit. Yes. Let's do it, man. All right, man. Um, So I really like the open of this movie. I, the opening score... I, I love how bombastic it was. It's very, like, big and heavy. Mm-hmm. You get that great um, helicopter shot, and it's so cool. And I think the dialogue's really sharp in this film. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's one thing I've, I've noticed, especially with, with these two noirs that we've seen, but he's very good at writing dialogue. It I, I find it to be very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did he write this movie, or... Now, let's let's look at that. Cause no, I, I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just curious. No, that's a good uh, question that um, I did not prepare yeah, for. Yeah, this movie, and, I mean, really all of his movies have very sharp dialogue. Yes. Um, that That is something, you know, even if he didn't write them, like, he's got good scripts. I, and I think the movie's framed very well. So, yes, this was not written by him. So okay. Call. This was written by Charles Schnee and Edward Anderson. Okay. Not familiar with, with those uh, their work, but they were the writers of this film. All right. Yeah, like we said, the dialogue's really sharp. What, what do you think about the framing? Because it, it's pretty apparent from the opening on. Like, mm-hmm. this is an interesting film. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I, I liked it. I think the things that stand out to me in the frame are, are the like the lighting and his use of shadows. I love that stuff. I don't know. I, I never felt like... I, sometimes I felt a little uh, off-kilter at times. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Okay, and I know we talked about this earlier, but the one thing I really appreciated was how he framed his two leads. Mm-hmm. Because it's very romanticized. Like, you you feel like you want them to succeed. And I think a lot of that is due to the over-lighting and, like, how they're framed. Yeah. Very close up. They're very pretty people. Right. And, yes. you he, know... He makes that shine. Yeah, and... While some of their dialogue is childish at times, you know, they are kind of children. I mean, they're, what, in their 20s? Yeah. Both of them are a little ignorant to how the world works. You know, he spent, um, what was it, seven years in prison for a crime that he didn't commit? Yeah, supposedly, yes. <laughs> right. And she's just kind of been around, like, with the garage lifestyle forever. Yeah, from just, the seems, what it seems. Just basically kind of... Not treated maybe the best by her dad, but yeah. doing kind of whatever he asks. Of yeah, her. and you you find out like her dad's kind of a drunk yeah. and kind of a worthless. Yes, that's the thing. It's like these people are just stuck with worthless people, right? 
Yeah, they're they're both kind of in bad situations. Um, I have okay written down. This was a piece of dialogue that I really liked because of how it was set up. So we do learn that um, Bowie is in prison for seven years, and he gets broke out by like these two guys. And there's a part in the movie where a mirror breaks. And Bowie says, that's seven years. Yeah. He knows what that means. Like, it's a silly superstitious thing and kind of childish, but he he understands, like, like seven years of bad yeah. luck, man. Mm-hmm. Like, he understands the importance of that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, I don't know if you caught that. I did. Yeah. Yes. That was great stuff. A great character moment uh-huh. as well. Yeah. That's that's great. You know, we, we get, to, we, we kind of, like you said, we meet Bowie and, um, you know, he's, he's get out of prison. He's with these guys. Um, right at the beginning, we see them, they're trying, they've pulled off something, mm-hmm. right? And they're trying to get away and they're running away. We see Bowie who's had a, something wrong with his foot. He yeah. kind of gets left behind and he ends up staying in that area for quite some time, a few hours, and he finally gets picked up, and this is the first time uh, we see Kichi and him meet each other. One of my favorite things about this, you know, when they meet here, is the dialogue, because I love uh, the words they use, but also, like, the rhythm to their dialogue. He asks a few questions, and her responses every time is, could be. Yeah. Could be. She says it a few times. That comes up again in Live by Night, or in a Lonely Place, that little bit of dialogue, which I found fun. But I, I love the cadence and the rhythm to the dialogue in that scene, and they first meet each other. Um, so anyway, she picks him up, and like you said, you know, he takes, she takes him um, to her, you know, dad's kind of garage area. They all meet back up. You know, we, we get introduced really to the, the characters we're going to see throughout the movie and kind of his members of his group. Yeah. So what do you think of some of these guys? Um, I I really um, kind of enjoyed the guy with one eye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Elmo, one-eyed Mobley. Uh-huh. Um, I think he's got a good look to him. He does. He, he's he got like, um, it's kind of like that 1930s Warner Brother gangster look. Yeah. Uh, the, it also is like the way he speaks, you know, his cadence and everything. Yes. Very reminiscent of that. They also call him Chickamaw. So, you know, like you said, we find out Bowie supposedly killed a man at age 16. That's a rough go. He's out now. He's probably going to go back in. Except he dies. Yeah. Well, I mean. <laughs> uh, okay, so. You're skipping over a lot, man. I just I just had to throw that out there. Um, what do you got next, man? Okay, so the, I, the chunk of the story. So they get him out of, you know, jail. And, you know, he has that injury. They go to the garage. You know, she picks him up. And you kind of find out, like, they have this uh, kind of like a, you know, her dad's kind of helping criminals. Yep. And they leave, right? Like, that. that's before the bank robbery. Am yes, I remembering that's that right? right? They leave and he gets to connect with yep, her. that's right. And, you know, she tends to his wounds and stuff. And they they go and they plan this big bank robbery because they're wanting money to one of the guys is wanting money to pay bail yep. for another friend of theirs and you know everybody else is just kind of wanting to live it up so they go into town and they scout it out and you get some really cool scenes um, Bowie you know he's so enamored with Kichi that he goes to this jeweler and you know buys her a nice watch right. 
And that's kind of like they're undoing in this area. Yeah. Um, and it's set up really well. So, you know, he does that. They scout off the bank. Uh, they go back later. And I think this is one of the best scenes in the movie. They go and rob the bank. You, Bowie is the driver. Yep. So while he's waiting for them to come out, the jeweler comes up and he starts, like, talking to Bowie. Yeah, like being friendly with him. Yeah, he's like, hey, did she like, you know, the... The watch, yeah. you know? And he, like, pushes him yeah. away. And gotta get out of I, I think that's really good uh, tension. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of films use scenes like that later on um, to build good tension. I know Michael Mann does that for some of his sure. films. And, you, you know, you're bringing somebody that's from the outside in, you know, an innocent person uh, with innocent intentions. And it, it adds tension because you, you know, you want Bowie to succeed, and this puts that in peril. Yeah. But they do get away. And, uh, you know, he brings her back the watch. And they, uh, you know, he starts buying stuff. And they start kind of living it up. And he's with, uh, who's the one-eyed man's name? Chickamaw. Chickamaw. So him and Chickamaw are running around all over town. I think, is the car new? Do they get a new car? They did get a new car. He gets a lot of new clothes and stuff. Yeah. And... Nah, I, I forget. It's Bowie's driving, right? That's right. So Bowie's driving like an asshole. Yep. Driving real fast mm -hmm. and ends up wrecking into somebody. Cop <laughs> comes and the problem there is Bowie doesn't have his license, right? That's right. And so the cop comes to question him and like, hey, whose fault is this? What's going on? And Chickamauga just shoots the yep. cop. Just kills him dead. Chickamauga really is the one who's adding like all the stress to Bowie's life. It's true. So then you kind of, from that moment on, that's the meat of the film. That's, yeah. um, Bowie goes back to the garage, he takes Kichi, and they're on the run for the rest of the film. Yeah. A uh, couple things I want to point out. There's a good scene I like where, you know, during this time they're together, they see that there's a $20 wedding area. Yeah. And so they go and get married. I think that's a really sweet and good scene. Um, he gets a $5 ring for her. <laughs> um, like you talked about, they, they buy a convertible uh, from the man who married them. Oh, man. There's... Okay, so leading up to that wedding scene, mm -hmm. there's a... And the whole time, this whole film from here on out, they play with paranoia really well. Yeah. Um, so they're on a bus, like a Greyhound, but they don't sit together because it's like, well, what if somebody they, notices They think them? they're going to get caught. So there's this great line of dialogue that I, it made me laugh. Uh, he says to her, you ever have a fella to go to church with? That's like, good stuff. given everything that's happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hilarious. I also have a thing. I don't know where it came up. Obviously, before the, the marriage. But I have a note. One-eyed man of perv. Do you recall him being pervy in a scene? I feel like probably. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's a gross guy. Yeah, he he that uh, that Chickama is is a gross individual. Right? Yeah, he's he's a sleazy man. <laughs> but yeah, the the guy who runs the wedding house, dude, that guy is great. Yeah, he, he was really good. He, he might be the MVP of the film. Yeah, and you you see again him again pop up later in the movie. Yeah, which is really good. So after they get married, uh, they go out and they they rent a cabin for their honeymoon. One thing I want to point out about this is he rents a cabin from a man named Lambert, I think. And Lambert has a son named Alvin. And uh -huh. I just said, great father-son duo. They oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I, I've got no innkeeper. Lots of quirky characters. Yeah. 
So yeah, they they both like are wear these oh like Elmer Fudd hats. Yeah, like Elmer Fudd type, you know, winter hats and they're they're very Quirky's a good word. They're they're just uh, ridiculous characters, but I, I really liked them. <laughs> just to give an idea of the location, isn't this all in Texas? So this would be northern Texas? Right, I believe that's correct. Yep. Um, so they rent this cabin, um, and they end up staying there for a while. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, you know, they're doing pretty well. They're just living this life. And then things kind of get messed up again by Chickamauga. Yeah, so... Also, before that, um, I have a note on here, heavy on sex talk. There's a mm-hmm. lot of innuendo. Innuendo, big time. Yeah. yeah. Which is played for, you know, comical effect. Um, I, I believe a lot of it's driven by the innkeeper talking about how um, couples want to be alone on their honeymoons. You yep. know, telling his kid that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Chickamauga gets back in the picture, which is unfortunate because, you know, you see them living happily. Right. For a good chunk of the film. And you and you think, like, obviously, this being a noir, you know something's going to go bad at some point. Right. But it makes, you know, you think, they think everything's fine because Chickamaw has his money. He's, you know, hopefully he's doing whatever he's doing. Right. We're here happy, kind of in the middle of nowhere. We're, mm-hmm. no, we know, we're not being bothered. Nobody knows where we're at. So, obviously, that's not going to last long enough. But... At the time, you think everything's going fine. So, yeah, One-Eye comes in there, finds him, and he says that he's out of money, and they need Bowie to rob another bank with them. Yep. So, Bowie... And Bowie's very hesitant to do this. He doesn't want to do it, but... But He goes to the meeting with, you know, the main guy, which... You don't have that dude's name written down, do you? I I probably could find it real Um, quick here. So... He, he goes to the meeting, and they kind of slap him around a bit, and it's like, you owe us. And the sucky thing is, it's like Bowie, you know, while he's on the run and, you know, getting things for Kichi for them to live their life together, he's got enough money that he's like, hey, I will give you half of my money right now if you just leave me alone. So I think, uh, I'm hoping I'm right. Is it Henry? Is that T-Dub Mansfield? Is that the... I... I don't know. It's either... <laughs> I'm I don't I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. I mean, they're probably not alive to hear this. That's true. He was played by J.C. Flippin. So if that's who that is... They have this build to get him to go do, you know, another job. And I don't know about you, but I, I didn't like that the action was off screen. So you get sure. a cut to him driving... Chickamaw's the only one left alive. Mm-hmm. Um, him and Bowie... And Chickamaw's injured, yeah. But like Chickamaw's yelling at Bowie because you know the job went bad. But it's not Bowie's fault. Right. It's just they planned it poorly. This is actually um, you may not agree with me. I I do hear what you're saying about that scene, but I also think um, it it may have been a influencer on someone like Tarantino for Reservoir Dogs. No, I get that. And I think about the scene where you know kind of. Shit hits the fan in Reservoir Dogs, and we never actually see the so-called heist or whatever happens. Right. We see kind of the after effects and them in the car just going. And but I again, I I, I agree with what you're saying. I just think it it, it I, was an influence. I think the way I the reason I feel this way, and I have this note written earlier on, and it must have been halfway through the movie. I feel like the movie in general moves too fast, and there's not enough time to breathe. So you don't really get enough like time and space to process like what's going on. I feel like 
you could have had more scenes maybe more scenes with the action like we just described or more scenes of character moments because you do get a lot of quirky side characters and stuff sure. but maybe more scenes of like setting up the relationships of you know even just Kichi and Bowie or you know him and the guys he run with mm -hmm. um her and her father I just feel like everything it's like it's so fast that like you never get a moment to like sit back and like reflect on like everybody's place in this world does that make sense yeah i, I mean i'm not gonna like i think that's a fair criticism you don't have to agree with me or well, anything I, just... I mean i i obviously i didn't think this is a perfect movie like i had some i agree with that criticism i think that is a fair criticism of the film and uh you know it does move fast i agree and i we could have used some relationship building at that point so i agree with you there for sure you know like you said they go ahead and rob the bank um we find out Basically, his friends of all, everybody but Chickama has been killed in this right. attempt gone bad. <laughs> well, Chickama's giving him such a hard time. Like, he pulls a gun on Chickama and leaves him on the road. Yeah. Because, like, he put him and Kichi's life in danger by him doing this job. Bowie returns back to the cabin. Kichi's still there. Uh, he finds out, you know, things aren't going as great there. Pipes have busted. Yeah. Uh, crazy stuff going on. And kind of, this is kind of another thing that you kind of talk about what things maybe moved a little too quick because all of a sudden, right after this scene, we find out that all of a sudden Chickamaw has been killed. Uh -huh. uh, so we find out after he robbed the bank and all that stuff, he tries to get away. Um, he does get away and then he decides to, I guess, do another break in and he tries to rob a liquor store and he gets, you know, shot and yeah. killed by trying to like it all happens off screen and we don't see any of this happen and it's kind of just thrown in there so you really have to you know be paying attention to the movie to understand that well Chickamaw's gone now and another thing her pregnancy because that's the thing that comes up right is that that's what before I've or after this this is after so right after that happens we find out Kichi is pregnant uh-huh and they drive off and they're heading towards the Mississippi River so they do that they find a new place to live, and Bowie and Kichi, this they kind of go out on the town, as you want to call maybe their, you know, quote-unquote, last night out together, and instead right. of just kind of being secluded, um, they go out and, you know... You get that good musical number. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, that's a, that's one of the highlights of the movie to me, to be honest. The, um, the musical number? I love number. that, yes. Yeah, um, it's shot well, and it's well staged. Yes, and uh, it's... I, I wish I could find... Did you write that the, girl's oh, name down? Did, yes. Marie Bryant is the singer's name. Uh -huh. And she has a lovely voice. It's a great little scene. And kind of just that romanticism shining through in that scene yeah. a lot, I thought. So that's really good stuff. Um, the name of the song is Your Red Wagon. Is yeah. the performance she's making. And I think it's a highlight of the film for me. So we kind of get this last night out for those these two. Then uh, things kind of go downhill from here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um Bowie, Bowie basically gets found out in the bathroom. Uh, he goes to the bathroom. I think it's a bathroom while they're yeah. You know, he goes, well, club. because this guy goes up to him and he's rude or something. Like he mm -hmm. grabs Kichi or he's saying shit and like Bowie gets like act like he's mad, but it gets broken apart and he goes to the bathroom to like kind of cool off. Yep. And then a guy like follows them and pulls a gun on him. And it's like, hey, you're that guy, but you need to get out of here because this is our territory. So it's like, we're not going to kill you, 
or give you up, but you gotta leave. Yeah. Because he, at this point, like, and that's another thing that, like, before he dies, that's what Kitchma is pissed off about, right. is the, the media is portraying Bowie as the mastermind. He's the guy who escaped from the jail. He's the guy who's pulling off these bank jobs. Everybody else is just his sidekick. Right. And he's really just an unwilling party to all of this, and that pisses Kitchma off, and that's kind of, like, where their struggle in the car happens. Yeah. Is because, like... Oh, you're the great Bowie, you know, the bank robber. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so everybody treats Bowie as if he's like, you know, the the next, you know, uh, Clyde. Yeah, basically. Bowie, you know, he grabs Kichi, they get out of there, and they end up driving to an inn. And we didn't really talk about this character earlier, but they go to an inn and it's ran by um, a lady named Maddie. We've met Maddie earlier in the film. She's played by Helen Craig. And... She's kind of part of that, I, I mentioned just a little bit, like kind of a off-kilterness a little bit, and she's one of those characters early on that I felt I could feel that with, like, I didn't feel like a reassurance with her character. I felt something was up with that character, and it comes back into play, and I thought that was a really good job. It's like a femme fatale that you get no screen time with. Yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, you know, we find out that Maddie's running this in, um... At the same time, Kitchy is is sick. She's pregnant. She's not, you know, feeling very well. She's not doing well. And Bowie asks Maddie if they can stay in a room. And so Bowie asks if, you know, if they can get her a doctor. Uh, Maddie says, go get him yourself. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, Maddie is... A bitch. She is a bitch. And at the same time, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Maddie because... She's obviously, she, she ends up turning her back on them. But like I said, you don't really know much about her. So like, I'm not saying it doesn't make sense that she would do that. It's just, well, we don't really, so I don't know if I fully understood that character. You find out that her, her husband is the guy in jail that they were trying to post right. bail for earlier. Yes. So I, I feel that she is disenchanted with this life. And I feel that when she sees Bowie... She sees, like, wrecked potential. Right. That, like, he is going to ruin that girl's life. Like, her life was ruined by her husband. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I read it. Yeah. And... I think that's fair. You know, I it is an interesting character, but we really don't get that much time with her. Right. So, after this happens, we find out that, you know, Maddie is not to be trusted. She goes to the authorities... And she tells them, hey, uh, Bowie is in town and he's at my inn. Uh, what did you think of that scene? So, her husband that's in jail is in the room during that yeah and i thought it's interesting because he looks so disappointed in her saying all that yeah i think he he is because snitches get it's, stitches it's true i i you know i think this guy was loyal you know the one thing i'll say even though you know Chickama was a terrible person and his other gang members i mean they never snitched on him well and it seems like she's doing this to get a plea deal for her husband yes she wants to help out him and her. And like, he's disappointed by it. He is. He definitely seems... Because, like, you're ruining these two young people's lives. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, and I feel that's going to be a strain on their relationship. And so, now we kind of start seeing, after this happens, we start seeing, you know, what's eventually going to be the end of, of these two's relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, we get a quote. I wrote this down. Okay. Did... I don't know before your quote or not, but did you hit the point to where 
he's feeling the desperation, so he goes back to the church, right, to where they got married because he knows yes. that the church this guy. This is where we get the okay, picture back in because that yes. guy has connections. He knows guys in yep. was it Mexico? Yes, Mexico. Um, that can like you know solve their problems. Mm-hmm. All right. So what what is your quote on? Yeah. So he does that. Comes, but no, you're fine, man. I'm glad you brought that up. So at this point, I think Bowie knows that like things are not well. So Turning in on him, he goes to Kichi and he says, "Kichi, I'm the only thing wrong you ever did." No, I'm sorry, Kichi. The only thing wrong you ever did was marry me. So he's kind of like, you know, I brought this onto you, but you made a bad choice too. <laughs> right. So you know, Bowie goes back. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. So, yeah, I, I did cover this a little bit. Bowie goes back to the older man that married them and asks if he can get them to Mexico, like you said. He rejects the offer. He says he can't accept Bowie's money. So, then we kind of, after that, we get the final scene, basically. But, okay, so I want to talk more on that that scene, because I think it's also one of the standout scenes mm-hmm. from the film. And it kind of sums up everything about um, fate is what fate is, and... He has this line of, like, I'm not going to sell you false hope. hmm Yeah. And, like, there's not a price for that for him. Right. You know, and, which is really interesting, like, you know, the honest, you know, thief. Yeah. Um, But I, I do like that, that, like, you have this guy, you know, to the side that's, like, this dream of yours, it's not real. Like, there's no way that you can escape this, like... It's coming for you, it's closing in on you, and you have to deal with it. Yeah. It's like, there's no easy way out. Yeah. There's no shortcut home. Ah, oh, good line. Rocky Four style. That's right. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought that scene was fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's a really good scene, and, you know, I think it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, absolutely. Because... You know, the whole time he's thinking, like, you know, maybe I have this thing, like, this is my fallback plan. Yeah. And and the way the old man, like, delivers that stuff, it's like, this isn't going to work out, kid. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't. No. So, <laughs> yeah, let's go so, to the finale. Yeah. So, real, you know, we get the end here. Um, you know, Bowie gets back, and when he does get back, the police are waiting for him. Um he tries to make one last stand. It doesn't go well. Bowie gets shot up trying to uh, see Kichi one last time. But before this, yes. he's written a letter to her. He did write a letter to her. That's right. And I, I, do you remember what the letter says? Did they show what the letter says? I can't remember. She reads it at the end. She Okay, yeah, she reads it at the end. That's right. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a, a bad ending for our man Bowie. Yeah, what, okay, so... I know we talked about, like, our thoughts and stuff on the movie, but, um, you know, criticisms and uh, praise. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I like this movie a lot. Um, like I said, I think my embrace of this movie even more is in context with the importance of it. Uh-huh. So I think that had a lot to do with how much I liked it. And again, I just, I really enjoy melodrama. So that was big for me, and I loved their relationship. On the negative end, like we've talked about already... Um, you know, the reason it wasn't just, you know, a, a five-star movie or whatever, you know, it's because there are some moments that happen really quick there, you know, we could use some more of Poor getting pacing. to know people. Well, yeah, pacing, it's definitely a, 
very to the point AB movie. So yeah, I, I could see some issues with that for sure. Yeah, I I guess my problem I I wasn't as high on the film as you were. Um, I did like it and I do appreciate it. I guess my appreciation for it is greater than my like for it. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I do think that the pacing really hurts this film. I feel that, and maybe this gave him more freedom to do what he wanted, but I feel like this is more of a B picture than an A picture. Does that make sense? Sure. Like for that time period? Yeah. That, um, like, I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff left on the table. Yeah. And I think you have to remember with, with Ray is that he was, you know, this was his first movie and he was not a celebrated director by any means or, no. or an up-and-coming person no so, especially the way the studio system worked right. at that time you know him being an assistant director you right. know graduating to a director yeah. so it definitely is a first movie but uh, like i said I, I did like it a little more than you but i don't think we're, you know we're that far off no. I, just, I just you know i liked it a little more yeah so that's live by night and if you guys liked the movie good if you didn't cool so, real quick, do you want to talk about In a Lonely Place a little bit? I very much do. Okay. Let's talk about that. We won't spend as much time on that one, but we just want to mention it because... Yeah. Um, I was I, higher on this film than I was They Live by Dark or Live, Live by Night. Yes, I was too. Um, this movie, to me, um, is a masterpiece. Um, In a Lonely Place. Now, this is the movie he did after They Live by Night, and I think... They are similar in their look, but um, I found this one to be even more depressing. <laughs> I don't know what what the exact. I think words it's a I'm sharper looking, looking film, mm -hmm. but I think that I think he does less stylistic in this film. Sure, because in the first film, you know, they live by night. Uh, he's shooting his leads very romantically. And this film is a much darker. It's more shot like a traditional noir film. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it, it, I mean, it's still, it looks great. Right. You know, it's framed great and everything. Um, in this movie, you, it does play with shadows more than they live by night does. Um, that movie is probably a little overlit, not right. to its detriment, sure. but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there, there is a contrasting style, but they are, it is similar. Um, you know, it's beautiful black and white photography. Yeah. I, I just, I wrote a, you know, what I, what I have to say about the movie um, I said uh, Bogart and Graham, who star in this movie, uh -huh. I think are fantastic. Um, this is my one of my favorite movies with dialogue. Some of the best lines I've heard in a long time. Mm -hmm. I think his two shots are great in this movie. And like you already mentioned, the shadow and lighting. A couple I, quick... No, go ahead. Well, um, I was going to say, um, in regards to Bogart, it is a wonderful performance. I don't know how much of his stuff you've seen. No, I, I, I haven't seen enough. That's Man, sure. I, I love him. And he's really good in this movie. And I couldn't imagine anybody else playing this character. Yeah, let me say this real quick about Bogart, which which I think this is really cool. Um, So, Nicholas Ray was the first director to quote-unquote take the gun away from Humphrey Bogart for mm -hmm. his character. So, like, before this, he always played, you know, you know this... this well, a certain character. Well, he played like, a lot of detectives. Um, right. I, I think he played, what, Philip Marlowe he did. twice? Yep. Mm -hmm. And before that, I believe before he became famous, he was in a lot of those uh, early 30s gangster films right. as like a side thug. Yeah. So this, you know, in this movie, he plays a screenwriter and he's he's a, a character that's kind of in the latter stages of his career as a screenwriter, it uh -huh. seems. 
But, uh, you know, I think... Yeah, it kind of washed up, hasn't had a hit yeah. in a few films. So I think that was a big thing. Some context for this movie, I think, is very important. Nicholas Ray himself actually uh, dated um, Gloria Graham, the, the main star of the film. Oh, okay. And before this movie started, you know, before he wrote it or anything, they had broke up uh, before the shooting. Oh. So this is a very personal film for Nick Ray. Uh-huh. Nobody knew they were separated when wow. the movie started shooting. And the ending of the movie... Gloria Graham, Humphrey Bogart, and Nick Ray improvised the ending for the film. Wow, oh, I didn't so, know that. Um, we can talk about that in, you know, in a few minutes if you want to talk about how the movie ends and how he was going to end it before he changed it. So I think that's some really interesting context looking at the film as a whole. So I, I don't know. I just thought that was some cool stuff. Yeah. Anyway, uh, your initial thoughts on the movie. Yeah, for the, for the non-spoiler crowd... I liked the movie a lot. I liked it more than They Live by Night. I felt that the drama goes into the melodrama zone that I do not like. I feel like the the logic in the drama doesn't work, at least for nowadays. Maybe back then it did. but And the ending is tragic, but if you look at it through the lens of now, it's like, oh, that's silly. They They are who they are. That's Does that make sense? That makes sense. Uh, but I do like the film. I like, you know, Bogart's acting is so phenomenal. And the film kept me engaged. I think it's perfectly paced. A lot of my, you know, eh about the movie is really just in the melodrama itself that it just didn't work for me. I didn't connect with it. It just wasn't. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, especially with when you get into genre pictures and we get, you know, there's things that work for people and yeah. things that don't. And that and for me, I guess I'm so big on story and acting. It's like I appreciate Bogart and um, you know, every everybody in that movie is really good. He is definitely the, you know, the standout in that film. You know, if the drama doesn't hit with me, right. You know, and this is my complaints about Douglas Sirk films is that Sometimes I think the drama is a little too much. It goes a little over the edge. And I'm not saying that the dramas I do like are less, you know, silly. It's just for whatever reason, it's like, it's what connects with me. So, you know, I can appreciate like a Douglas Sirk film or something like this, that it's it's beautifully shot and composed. I And I love the dialogue in A Lonely Place. It's very sharp. But, um, you know, just emotionally, I just, I can't get invested, you know, in the ending for me, it's like, for me, it's like, oh, that's clever, but... I'm, I don't care. Okay. Does that make sense? That makes sense because I can't... Here's the thing. Like, I can't disagree with you about how you feel. That I think that's important. Right. You know, where it's me, like, I gave this a five star. I love this movie. And again, I've kind of already discussed. I don't need to rehash myself, but I... I this is my style of melodrama. I For some reason, I connect with this stuff. Uh-huh. Again, I can't explain why, but I do. And so I loved this movie. This was, this was like a movie... like. There, there's there's a lot of big movies I haven't seen, and this was one like it get I got excited about. I just I'm it was something that just sparked my interest. Just, and that's good. Yeah, and and it's great when you feel that. Yeah, because you know it doesn't always happen. Like no, for just sure. for reference, like you know I've only been on Letterbox for like two years. I've logged in over four hundred movies. I only have 15 five-star movies. This was my number 15. So, like, I know stars don't always matter, but I'm just saying this was a... For me, it was a top-of-the-line movie. Like, and I don't get that very often. So I was, like, really pumped up 
after I saw it. So, okay, um, so what do you like so much about this movie? Let's talk about that. Yeah, so, man, like, I just, I th- their, their relationship just kept, I don't know, I was so invested in them. Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham, like, I, I just, I found this spark, and it just really, like, that spark excited my interest in the film. And it held, it holds the whole way through. Like, I was so just in that. Like, I was invested all the way. Mm-hmm. And I love, like, the murder really doesn't mean anything. It's basically a red herring almost. Like, it does mean something. Like, obviously, there's no, like, the girl that gets killed. I don't know how much she matters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Sounds. Instead of... Yeah, go ahead. I, I would say it's like, it's the dark cloud looming over yeah. that never produces any rain. Right. You know, I, I, I agree with that. Basically, I, I I like this relationship as like, you find out more about Humphrey Bogart's character throughout the movie. Like, this, there's this scene in the middle where he reenacts the murder, how he thinks thinks it would take place it, with his friend who is a police he's got officer a friend that's a police officer and he's he, with he's his on wife. a dinner date yeah he's on a dinner date and he's solo with with the police officer and his wife uh-huh and you know they've brought humphrey bogart into question because at the beginning of the movie the lady leaves his house they had drinks together and she you know was reading them him this book that he's mm-hmm. trying to write a screenplay for she leaves and we find out you know we don't get a again kind of like he did with um uh, they live by night, we get a scene that you don't see what happens, but mm-hmm. you kind of find out the next day this lady has been murdered and he was the last person to be known seen with her. So he gets brought in, you know, and questioned by the police. Anyway, he's friends with one of the tech detectives. So mm-hmm. later on he goes and has a this dinner date with him and his wife. The detective is still interested about the case, obviously, and he's trying to trying to get more out of him. They're not sure he's innocent, right? And so he, you know, during this dinner date, Humphrey, he's a screenwriter. He is a lot of big ideas and he's like you know this is how the murder would have happened and you get the detective and his wife sitting across from him and he's put them in chairs and he's like you guys sit here i'm going to show you how it's done and he makes the detective like put his arm around uh-huh. his wife is like you're in the car here this would have happened that would have happened then you put your arm around her and you start squeezing and he's just going into detail about how this murder would have been committed and the detective's like so into it he starts squeezing the neck of his wife and she's like, stop, you're going to strangle me. Like, he was so into it. And, it, man, it was just this, that scene just popped for me. It was like... A lot you, of intensity. It was. And you like, what's great about that scene is you kind of get the feeling like, is Humphrey Bogart, I started thinking anyway, is he innocent? Right. Now, we think he's innocent because, the you know, at the movie, we see the girl leave his house and we see, like, he's, like, in his robe and he's like, I'm going to bed. So, I don't know if... Like most of the time, I was like, "That's not really much of a mystery." But you start, you know, you see that scene, and for me, anyway, it sparked my interest. Is like, did this guy do this? He has a crazed look in his eye. He does, and you come to learn a little more about his character. Like he had to stop screenwriting because he ended up going into, um, I don't know if it was the army or what. He he goes into the war. Yeah, he was he was in the army. That's how the detective knows him. Is he was yeah. like a sergeant or something? So we in the get army. you know stories about him and how he was. He, um, he might be a violent person. He is a very violent person. Um, so the crux of the movie, in which is the crux of the case, is that Bogart is innocent because his neighbor sees him and right. That's um, what's her name? Gloria Graham. Gloria Graham. So she is the key witness in this case. 
to attest for his whereabouts. And he ends up falling in love with her and, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, through that, he gets inspired and starts writing this wonderful screenplay that has nothing to do with the book. But, you know, it's still wonderful. He has a very abusive relationship with his manager. Right. Um, and Bogart's got a lot of depth in this film. But also, I think that his character is so flawed that this relationship would never have worked. And that's my problem with the movie is that you find out that he is violent. He He's prone to tantrums. Um, he's a very fickle person. We'll just talk about the ending of the movie. Yeah, so um, from here on out, we'll probably spoil it here. So if you guys haven't watched In a Lonely Place, you should go check it out. Yeah, peace out for a little bit. So, the, the you know, Bogart's like the number one suspect. There's a couple other suspects, but they find out, like, you know, the one dude confesses to it. But before that, Bogart, you know, he sells this screenplay... He's supposed to marry Gloria Graham. They're supposed to go off and stuff. And she's scared because she thinks that maybe he did murder the girl because of how violent and irrational he is. Mm -hmm. That's, we're led to believe that that is what clouds this relationship is that he might be a murderer. So she's unsure about this. And I have a problem with that because it's like, He's not a murderer, but he's still an abusive dick who's a drunk who, like, beats the shit out of his friends and is an asshole in general. So I think the drama there, it doesn't work for me because it's like, well, you're a piece of shit human. It doesn't matter if you murdered someone or not. I don't see this relationship working. That's fair. I, I bought the relationship completely. It, I... First, it's a relationship just built on looks, right? So they first, like, notice each other. And, you know, she comes in, and when she's questioned, you know, she says, I saw him that night. He was at home. And they asked her why she came in. Like, does she like him? And she's like, I like his face. So it's an attraction to begin with. Now, I do see, like, as as they start to date, there are flaws with him. I guess why I, I find it reasonable is because I've seen many relationships in my life that Sometimes there have been dudes that have not been nice to women, but they keep dating for some reason. That's just life sometimes, I guess. But he, I think what makes him all right for her in the movie is I, you see him do some really sweet things for her. Like, I remember there's an instance, you know, he makes breakfast for her one morning. I think there's a really sweet scene. Again, there's like a musical number later in the movie that I think another standout scene. Uh-huh. And, you know, they're at a, a bar and the piano's playing and other songs being sung kind of like, you know, the Live by Night, a nice little number. And you see like them whispering to each other. And it's really sweet talking about how much they love each other. And I don't know, I bought into that stuff. And I find it like, I guess I find it so tragic because like, you can tell he's a guy that has issues, but like he's trying to work through them, but he can't, he, he can't get over this violence that's like taken over himself. And so when, when these moments come out, like there's, there's an instance where there's one, one moment where they're in a car, like they've just, you know, something bad has just happened. Like the detective, like they went out on a beach party with detective and his wife and you know, some secrets gets that told that Gloria Graham came back to the detective's office and like he storms out of there so mad 
and in this rage, like driving recklessly on this, like on these curvy roads, like this dude cuts him off, but it's not really the dude's fault, but he's like, it's your fault. He stops the car and beats, just beats the hell out of him. Mm -hmm. Almost kills him. Yeah. He's almost going to kill him with a rock. Yeah. And she kind of stops him and he listens to her, but like, I don't know. I, I don't know why I just, I, I felt for this guy, even though he's like a bad person. Like, I just felt like he's not all bad. He's just got issues and he doesn't know how to deal with these issues. Here's the thing. I, I can understand from the argument of like, he did serve in the war. So, you know, like maybe war broke him. Like that happens. Like you ask men to be warriors and stuff, but then they come home and it's like, you want him to be neutered, Mm -hmm. you know? So I, I do understand that point of view, but the crux of the issue for the relationship is how he acts towards others, not her. Mm-hmm. He beats the shit out of this dude, you know, on the side of the road. He, once he finds out his manager turned in a screenplay behind his back, he hits him. Yeah, that's, I, that's another like, scene I really and that's enjoyed. His, it, it's a wonderful scene, but it makes me think, like, this guy's not... A, he's not a redeemable character in this story. Like, so by the end, when the phone call comes in, that's like, you're innocent. Like, tell her you're innocent. Like, everything's good. You're good. It's like, well, we could use that phone call. What was it? Like a few minutes earlier. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's the tragic line in the movie. And Mm -hmm. I, I, that's the dramatic thrust of it, but it doesn't work for me because it doesn't matter because he is who he is. He's not doing these violent things because he's a suspected murderer. He's doing these things because he's a broken man. Mm -hmm. And if she can't deal with that, like he's always going to be this way until it's fixed. And you know, if if she can't deal with that, like the relationship is what it is. Him being suspected of murder or not didn't really play that much of a part for me in the reading of their relationship. Oh, sure. Uh, does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. So that's why I couldn't buy the drama in it. And I, I do like this movie. I liked it more than They Live by Night, which, you know, I, mm-hmm. I have a great appreciation for. I think this film's superior um, as far as dialogue, superior, you know, with acting. It's well shot, even though it's more traditionally shot. It's a very well shot and very well paced. That's something that this movie has over They Live by Night is the pacing. It's like it's spot on and you, it never lets up, but also you have time to breathe and you have time to appreciate these characters and their interactions with one another. Yeah, it worked for me. I again, I don't know if I can fully explain why it I just I felt very invested in the relationship and by the end, I was... So that line like, tear you up? I was I was heartbroken for him. Like, even though, like, I was heartbroken for her, too. Because the thing is, is, like, you know, she ends up, you know, she has to get out of the relationship. Right. She makes the right choice. But, like, I guess the reason I was heartbroken for him is because, like, I feel like even though he is not a great person, there's something wrong with him. Like, he needs help. But... No one, I don't know how he's going to get that help. I don't know. Like, I just, I felt like he was a broken person See, and he needed help. I you felt think compassion that for him. She was his only chance at redemption. I do. And, and he, that's taken he away. He couldn't do it, you know? And he failed. And, you know, again, I, I can't explain exactly why I had that mm-hmm. emotion towards those characters, but I did. Well, no, I, I think that's awesome that you did have that feeling. And, 
me saying, you know, like criticisms towards this film, by no means is that a don't check this out. It is a wonderful movie sure, sure. and you absolutely should check it out. But, yeah. um, you know, it's just, it's a flaw that I see for me. That's fair. Uh, so real quick, I want to talk about the ending. So we already talked about, you know, he gets this phone call and he's, he's in the middle of kind of, of choking her basically. And you think he's going to lose control. And then the phone rings and that phone ringing just kind of like, I took it as, um, okay, you're about to kill someone. This gave him an excuse to not kill her at that moment. Uh He goes and answers the phone. We find out, detective is like, not the killer. We found that out. And he's like, you know, like you said, I wish you could have found that earlier. And so they break up. That's kind of how the movie ends. So anyway, they improvised this ending. So the original ending, actually, that Nicholas Ray had, had made was that uh, he doesn't answer that phone, and he actually strangles her and kills her to end the movie. That's not as good. No. So I, I like how it ends, actually. Uh-huh. So I just thought I would bring that up. I find that, no, that's found that fascinating. And so they improvised that ending to come up with the ending they got. That's a so, better ending. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. Um, good discussion, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, just, just shortly, you know, his other landmark films, you know, check out Johnny Guitar. It's a... Uh, it's a very unconventional Western shot during the conventional time of Westerns. Uh, it tackles McCarthyism, and I think it does it in a braver, bolder way than uh, High Noon does. Yeah, um, Johnny Guitar is awesome. Yeah, it's it's a great movie with some great performances. It's also very, like, go girls. Yeah, it's very a, uh, feminist. It's a feminist Western, which you didn't see at that time. Uh, the women are what drive the drama in the film. The protagonist and antagonist are both women, the title character, Johnny Guitar, really is just a side character in the film. Sure. He doesn't play a major part. There are some striking, beautiful visuals in this movie. It is, um, it's uh, designed and lit like a Hollywood musical. Uh, it's very uh, flamboyant, yeah. maybe. Um, you know, you have like the Roy Rogers look as far as like the costume. Yes. But the colors are so poppin'. Um, it's so good. It, it, this is a Technicolor, by the way. It, it looks fantastic. It's a wonderful looking film, and the burning of her saloon is one of the standout scenes in any film of that genre. I would say. Yeah, and I agree with you. It's been I I I saw Johnny Guitar about a year ago, so I didn't get to rewatch it for the discussion. I love the movie. I'm glad you enjoyed it as well. I those are the only these are the only three movies I've seen by him. You watched Rebel Without a Cause. Rebel right? Without a Cause, yeah, it, it's awesome. I'm sure a lot of people have seen that movie. That's probably what they know him from, um, because that is such a popular film. I will say it is <laughs> the very beginning of the film. Like the acting's really good, but it is hard, you know, with the room being a thing to go back and see like that line of uh, "You're tearing me apart." Oh, yes. mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really good. He's really good in the movie. It. It does play out like a like 50s teen drama, so very, you know, like what Grease was doing, only this is edgier. Salminio is in it, you know, from yes. West Side Story. Honestly, like once, the story does a flip, so, and I'm not going to spoil it because I know you haven't seen it. It follows James Dean, and it's like his relationship with his parents and his relationship with, you know, students. He's a transfer student, so it's, you know, people being dicks to him and stuff, and like, it, it deals a lot with masculinity and what does that mean? His father's not very masculine, so and he's looking for this masculine figure, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> yeah. So there's a lot of interesting layers in as far as that goes, and I think it's very interesting Sal Minio's character. Uh, he's the friend 
really his story takes over the third act and by the time that happens the movie really opens up and the drama really works for me like this is a melodrama that like i'm invested in i'm like hooked and like by the end of the movie i'm just like bawling it gotcha yeah it, it really is very good i i really recommend it I imagine it had lots of influences, you know, on things from like La La Land to Greece to uh, Outsiders. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I, dude, I don't know when that book was written. So it could have been of, written before the movie, but out of the out of the Ray movies what you saw, was that your favorite? The movies I've seen of his, I'm gonna say Johnny Guitar is my favorite okay. because the visual style in that film it's so striking and, dude, the opening scene of the okay. Once you get past the opening scene, because you do get that, like, wonderful scene of them, like, building yeah. the railroad and kind of gives you context for what's happening in the movie. But once you get to her saloon, that segment, that's, like, what, 20, 25 minutes yeah. of just talking. And it's just, like, it's introducing the characters and it's introducing, like, their, like, what they mean to one one another. Um, so you get all these wonderful interactions. And that 20 minutes is just... Like, the writing is so good. It's just cinematic bliss for me. Awesome. Um, I loved it. So, Johnny Guitar is definitely my favorite of his, but Rebel Without a Cause is very close, and In a Lonely Place, you know, is also very, very good. All right. Um, I think he's a wonderful, interesting filmmaker, very much in the style of a Robert Wise. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested to check out more of his work. Um, a couple of, of his bigger movies that we haven't seen... Uh, bigger than life uh, criterion put that out um, also on dangerous ground i've heard things about mm-hmm. that i've never seen that um you know i believe he directed somewhere around 27 movies he directed a lot um so there's a lot to look into on this man i will say real quick again uh, in a lonely place there is a criterion blu-ray for those interested again this has a audio commentary on it it has some documentaries and interviews and uh, this one does have a booklet by Imogen Sarah Smith on it. And then also, as we brought up Johnny Guitar, you can find that from Olive Signature. They've put out a nice Blu-ray that has audio commentaries, uh, essays, interviews. Um, so also some nice packages there for anybody wanting to check out some Nicholas Ray. And you should. He's a wonderful filmmaker. As far as like future plans and stuff, I think we might have a few things coming up for the holidays. Yeah. Uh, we're going to try to get a couple episodes out holiday-themed. Yeah, I think we got some good stuff in for in, in store for you guys. Just stay tuned, and, you know, we've had a good time today. Yeah, so you can follow us at... Uh, yes, you can follow us on Letterboxd. Uh, I'm Nolan Tuck or Chuck Madden Jr. Yeah, uh, Esclover84. You can follow us on Twitter at Cinema Parlor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Subscribe. Subscribe to, and uh, rate and review us. We don't have many uh, reviews on there, so if anybody's out yeah, there... Yeah, if you listen, review us. Give it us helps a, a lot. Uh, shout out. Um, give us give us a good rating, please. We'd enjoy that. Well, even, you know... Even if it's a bad one, just put it on there. Yeah, if it's a bad review, tell us how you feel about Nolan. Let me have it. Give me all of uh, the criticism. If you gotta say anything too mean, per, do the PM thing on Twitter. Yeah, please do that. We're very sensitive. The, the DM. Um, That's what it is. <laughs> D- all right. Direct message is probably what that stands that's, for. That's correct. Ha! Uh, well, thanks guys um, for listening, and uh, go watch some Nicholas Ray films. Watch Nicholas Ray, drink, and be merry. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.